Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. fan of the 80s it's like what would the decade be without a little sting actually totally appropriate that uh the, the, you know for the, the 80s the police because they actually literally ended their worldwide reunion tour at madison square garden last thursday i don't know if you saw this uh front page new york times there we actually have a picture of sting leading the crowd he brought up actually the nypd band uh on stage for the occasion and every breath you take was actually actually massive uh, obviously in, in the 80s it was on their 1983 albums anyone remember Synchronicity, actually about eight weeks at number one in the Billboard, and it was a song of the year at the 1984 Grammys. On the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Hits of All Time, it's number 83, kind of an all-time classic. And it's about a relationship where one partner is actually kind of fixated on the other, right? Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you, Jim. Eyes, you know, and uh, those are those are kind of funny lyrics. You can interpret them through the lens of, of passion and commitment, or in a much you know creepier sense through the lens of a stalker. Um, wherever you are, I'm watching you. Well, tonight we're going to actually reinterpret those lyrics through the lens of scripture because this is week two of Rock God, in which we're looking at the message of the Old Testament prophet Haggai with the anthem of the 80s as our soundtrack. So we're going to double back to the police in a moment. But I first want to actually invite you to take out your Bible and turn with me to the book of Haggai. It's on page 656. This is where we're camping out for this series. And if you were with us last week, you know that we rocked the little Bon Jovi, making the connection that the message of God to his people here in Haggai was, was pretty simple. You give love a bad name. That's what God said to the Israelites through the prophet Haggai. If you recall this, the setting for this whole thing is that the Jewish temple was in ruins, which was a symbol of their relationship with God. God literally called back 50,000 Jewish people to rebuild this temple. And they got started. They were like all eager. But then they got distracted along the way because life crowded in. So they got on with their own projects, building their own houses and lives, careers. And God's house, this, this relationship thing, laid in ruins. And so God made this stinging accusation to them in verse 3. You can see it there in chapter 1. It says, Is it a time, God said, for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a what? Ruin. In other words, you say you love me. You say our relationship is important to you. But look at what you're investing in. All of your resources, your time, your money, your talents goes to building your own little life over here while this remains a ruin, our relationship. I play my part, but you play your game. You give love a bad name. It's all lip service. It's a faux faith. It's not true love. And and the truth is this. We acknowledged last week that Haggai's story is in many ways our stories. We're, We're a lot like that. 
Um, a lot of us have very good intentions, you, you know, stated desire to grow in our relationship w- w- with God. Maybe that's why, you know, it's why we're here. But if we took a true look at what we're actually investing in, it would tell another tale. That our affections actually often lie somewhere else. You, you can go to church, you can, you know, listen to, to you know, Christian music and be completely checked out on this. Where God as, actually isn't really the number one priority of your life. It's more of an add-on if you were completely honest. And, and so God calls his people back. Back into relationship with him and back to the task of rebuilding what they once had. That's what Haggai's about. And, and it really applies to all of us. Um, if you're a new Christian, this is for you. Last, this is incredible. Last week we had five people make the decision to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of their life for the first time. Can we actually welcome them? Because that is amazing. That is, that is awesome. It's awesome to have you as part of God's, think about it, part of God's family. And, and this is essential if you're going to follow the call of God in your life. This is essential. Uh, but if you're a longtime believer, maybe this is a wake-up call for you. Maybe you've kind of drifted this summer, okay? That's very quite normal. And this is actually a compelling invitation to come back. Back to that intimate, like, one-on-one connection with God that you crave, that passion that you remember, vaguely maybe, and rebuild that relationship for real. Uh, or if you're just kicking the tires of Christianity, good, good for you. You took a risk to be here. We, we are thrilled you're here. You're our guest, and, and we're going to have some fun. So let's just uh, sit back, and then we will rock some exegesis, okay? Let me pray for all of us. God, thanks for, for, for Haggai, for your word, Father. Um, something that, um, that literally was given, Lord, almost, almost 3,000 um, 3, years ago, and yet remains as relevant and true today. Maybe even more so, God. So just speak to us, Lord. Till the soil in our heart and, 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 and let your voice come out. Not mine, Lord. Let that just kind of fade away. Let every man and woman, literally, Lord, hear your voice at the deeper places tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, um, so I want to start now with a, uh, with a story. A story of what it looks like when God's call touches a specific area of life. And what it means to feel that gentle kind of whisper, that inner prompting, and then take the courageous step of responding to it. Uh, Because the first lesson that Haggai 1 teaches us is that God's call always requires sacrifice. In other words, if you're you're taking notes, that's the number one foundational truth of Haggai. God's call to follow him or rebuild an area of your life that he's put his finger on requires sacrifice. Uh, The people in Haggai, a little backstory, they gave up a lot to actually come back to Jerusalem. They'd actually been held captive in the empire of Babylon, but it wasn't like they were bread and water prisoners for, you know, for decades. They'd actually become a fairly domesticated people. They kind of had a posh life when God tapped them on the shoulder and, and said, I want you to go back here to this city that's totally destroyed in ruins. Nothing's standing. And God taps them on the shoulder and says, I want you to leave your current little kingdom over here and come rebuild mine. And so 50,000 Jews actually leave the luxury of Babylon for, for a desolated land. They gave up a lot to actually follow God's call in their life. But when they got there, they get to work rebuilding the temple, and then they slacked off, and they just got... They weren't bad people. Do you remember the word Scripture uses to describe them? Look at verse 9 there. They were just what? Busy. It says, verse 9, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin. Let's read it together. While each of you is busy with his own house. Busy with our house. That's life. In New Jersey, in New York, in Melbourne, wherever you are in the 21st century modern world, we are constantly connected, we're plugged in, we're bombarded with noise and things to do. Some think very good things, you know, relationships, work, school, friends, family, whatever. Many of them are gifts from God. 
But to truly follow God's call in a specific area of your life sometimes means you have to hit pause and withdraw to listen to his voice and actually give up something if you're going to take that relationship to the next level. In verse 8, God actually instructs them to, to rebuild it this way. He says, go up into the mountains. In other words, withdraw. You're going to have to get out of Judge. Bring down timber. It's going to be some heavy lifting here. And build this, this house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He's like, in other words, if you want to get closer to me, it's going to take time and it's going to take effort. And it's going to cost you something. See, whenever we prioritize God's, God's kingdom, it's like a sacrifice. Go up in the mountains and, br- and bring that. T- it's a great symbol, actually, of like, kind of like forsaking building your own nest and bringing up there, go up in the mountains and bring it down here and invest in my kingdom and, and honor me first. Now, here's the deal. We don't build temples in the 21st century. It's just, it's, church is not about a building. The church of Jesus is about this, about relationship first with God and then this world that he gave his life for, right? So you'll notice we meet in a hotel. We've said this before. We don't invest in buildings. We invest in people. But one of the ways we invest and build the kingdom of God is by pouring our time and our energy and our our, our money and even our muscle into serving the least of these who are closest to God's heart. That's what our focus has been about this summer. It's why we've had an amazing summer, unprecedented. It's why we've invested so much as a church drilling freshwater wells for the poorest of the poor in sub-Saharan Africa. It's not because like we should do some charity. It's to realign the heart of our church towards what's important to God's heart. And through your sacrifice, we were able to do something bigger together than any one of us could accomplish on our own. Twenty wells will literally begin drilling in the next month in Ethiopia, Uganda, and the Central African Republic. Literally, you gave $100,000 above and beyond your regular giving. In the middle of July, that's not supposed to happen. And 8,000 children and men and women in those villages will have safe, clean drinking water for 20 years. And here's the deal. We... We weren't able to do this as a church because we're a rich church. We're not, (laughs) hardly. This was deep sacrifice for many of you. But it was people saying, actually, instead of building my own house, I'm I'm gonna bring up there, down here, and pour into the life of the least of these because I want what, what breaks God's heart to break my heart. And that's costly. I know because I've seen so many of the stories of people. I, I, I received this letter from one, one couple here at Liquid of, um, of what it cost them. They wrote, Dear Pastor Tim, over the past few weeks, you've, you, you've really helped us understand our roles as Christians, not just to our local community, but globally to the world at large. Um, a few Sundays ago, we were called to action with the parable of the three men who were given a certain number of coins or talents from their master. I loved how you explained that some people are blessed with the ability to make money while others are blessed with time. I felt you were speaking directly to us. As a health counselor, I don't make all that much money, but I have the time to serve others. My husband, on the other hand, works 12 plus hours a day and he brings in decent money. So God's blessed us with opposite but complementary talents and it was made clear to us that Sunday what we're called to do with them. Um, they've been do- we said, we've been donating our time to Liquid. She leads one of our, our life classes and, 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 and he helps out with Liquid Kids in, in the morning. And she said, uh, last weekend though, after church, my husband said to me, do you want to do it? I want, to, I, I want to do more. Let's, let's do it. And I said, do what? And I got really nervous. <laughs> and he said, I want to donate a well. What if we donate an entire well for an entire village? And so we have put our plans to renovate the basement this fall on hold. And instead have decided to give a community of people clean drinking water for 20 years or more. We figured that was a bit more important than a finished basement. 
It's so amazing to witness God's plan for us and how he wants to use those talents, not to put into a savings account and just watch it collect interest, but to put it to even better use to help his people really bring about that sense of community across the the world. So it's with tears of joy that we send this check for $5,000, an entire well. Please pass this money along to Charity Water and to our, our family in Africa. We're so blessed to have this opportunity and so happy to be a part of Liquid's family with, with love and gratitude. Folks, this, this is the, that's the other side of Haggai. You remember that phrase last week Haggai says four times right in the first few words? He says, give careful thought, God says, to your ways. In other words, rethink everything you know about what your life is about, what you're investing in. And, 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 and the question is like, well, what if, what if we didn't invest in living in paneled houses, always kind of upscaling, but intentionally went the other way, did something very un-American, and we downsized intentionally, actually let parts of our lives, our homes go to pot instead to build God's, God's kingdom. Didn't give leftovers, but gave first room. Folks, th- this is like literally what it looks like to give careful thought to your ways and realign your priorities. So God, God is truly first, not just in speech, but like in sacrifice. And catch this. I understand this. Now, this incredible couple, I mean, they're a remarkable couple. And here's the deal. This fall is going to stink for them. <laughs> they, they're, they're not going to be able to enjoy a new basement, whether they're going to panel it or carpet it or furnish it. But they're going to experience something better. I'm talking about experiencing God. I'm not talking about like knowing God. I'm not talking about like being saved. I'm talking about experiencing God. And they're going to experience an aspect of God's character that very few of us know. It's called God's pleasure. Go look at this verse again. Go up in the mountains and bring down the timber and build the house so that I may what? Take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. In other words, catch this. The goal of honoring God is not to assuage our guilt. (laughs) I feel bad for not doing more. I want to please God more. Our our self-righteous efforts are doomed. Don't, that's dead religion. (laughs) You can't, you don't do more to get like God to like you more. The goal is Christian hedonism. To participate in the pleasure of God as the kingdom of heaven up there comes down here and touches on earth. So so the call in Haggai is really to sacrifice the idols in our everyday lives and instead invest in something that truly lasts, like like something as big as a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. That's a life changer. God's call requires sacrifice. It's the number one foundational truth here in Haggai or whatever area of your life you feel touched and called to rebuild. You'll have to sacrifice time in, in more sometimes in costly ways. So here's my question for you tonight as we move forward. What might God be calling you to sacrifice to experience the, the deeper life with him? I mean, I, I, the, the pleasure of God. I mean, that's just an example. This is stewardship and finances. That's one, that's one part of your life. But what other part might God be prompting you to radically change? What areas have you recently sensed maybe God putting his finger on or actually calling out? Look at verse 12 here. It says, Then the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And, and this is something you get. When we, when we hear God's word, we actually expect not to hear Tim's good ideas. We, we expect to hear the voice of God. That is part of our relationship, vital part, is actually listening to God's voice and responding to it. It's why we open the Bible. It's why we study it. Because the Holy Spirit will not only bring to mind things that God wants us to work and build on, the Holy Spirit will actually speak God's words to us, reminding us of the unfinished parts of our lives that God wants priority in. Last week, a lot of you felt, felt like you heard God's voice in very specific ways. 
Um, at the end of our service, I invite you to write down any specific areas you felt God was, was speaking to you rebuild. There, here's what some of you wrote. Someone said relationships. They said, please pray for my friend. She just got out of a bad relationship. On top of that, her parents are getting divorced. She's really hurting. But what she needs most and they need most is God. Someone else said um, addictions. Strength from God to fight, not give in to beat my addiction. I'm feeling very distant from God and don't feel close to him as a result. Someone else said, I'm acting out on old behaviors, just trying to feel better. I'm really struggling and need some relief. Some people come in with tremendous weight and feel God. Can you give me some release here? This to me is a very bold prayer. This is amazing. I had to read this three times to get this. Could you pray that I would stop looking for that relationship I need from God in other people? Could you pray that I would stop looking for that relationship I need from God from other people? Woof, man, preach it. Wow. This one says a new start for, for, for my two boys and me. They're going to college. I'm, new, I'm single again. I just got divorced. We need to rebuild a new life together. And uh, here it is. This one filed under B for butt kicking. That's what they wrote. I need, I need my butt kicked by the Holy Spirit. In such a way that puts me in a truly intimate relationship with God. I've been serving two masters and I want to be in love with God, but I don't completely trust him. So I keep choosing to serve the world. I'm very lonely. I've made a mess of my marriage. I want reconciliation, major rebuilding project. And the final one wrote, pray that I wouldn't walk away from this series or this summer unchanged. And I think that summarizes it for all of us. I mean, how many times have you heard a message or you've listened to a podcast or, you know, you had a conversation where you are certain you received an insight from God directly and it touches something in you. We see with clarity because we heard God's voice only to have it muted and washed away in the clatter of the oncoming week. I mean, think, think of what you wrote. What, what, did, what did you write? Or the area of life that, that you felt God kind of prompting you to rebuild. How's that going? Maybe it was something from earlier this year, but you were just reminded of again last Sunday. How's it gotten even just this week? I mean, you know, I saw a sign in someone's office this week. It said, out of debt by the fall. You're making progress. If not, here's a question. Why not? Haggai tells us. Because when we hear God's call to rebuild an area of our life, we should expect opposition. God's call always, always stirs opposition. It may not be impossible, but it will be opposed. That's, that's the message here in Haggai. Um, here's what you need to know. The moment the Israelites actually set out to rebuild the temple, they got hit head on with hostilities from neighboring tribes, particularly the Samaritans and Ezra. This is kind of interesting. You don't have to turn there. In Ezra 4, it says, then the people around them set out to, what's the word? Discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. In other words, translation, the people closest to them said, no way, you're not going to do this. You're an idiot. You're not. In fact, they hired counselors, look at this, to work against them and what? Frustrate their plans. The moment you step out, there will be opposition. And you know what? It worked. In Ezra 4, 24, it says, thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem, what's the phrase? Came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In other words, the Israelites hear God's voice, they step out of faith, we're going to reprioritize this relationship, and they're immediately slammed by the people who are closest to them in their lives. Man, I'm just so glad that doesn't happen to us today. 
you know, family members, you know, who, who, who maybe they mock you for your faith or maybe they make fun of you for being here. Oh, you're going to the cult again, you know, on, on Sunday. Or if you've heard God's call to repair a relationship, you know, now they want no part of you. I can't even meet with you. You're an unsafe person. I can't even talk with you. Or you want to go to counseling, you know, the marriage, and now, and now they won't go or whatever it is. The key is the moment it kind of sets in motion. I think about it. If you want to give, let's say this was the year you wanted to, like, I was like, I'm going to give priority to God in my finances. I'm, I'm going to start, tith- this is the year I start tithing. 10% first to God. What happens? Suddenly, bills all over the place. Unexpected. Or your car breaks down and you think, what, what timing? What timing indeed. <laughs> Anytime you step out to make progress in building your spiritual life beyond the status quo, you will draw opposition. Because they want you to stay at the level of mediocrity. Some of the opposition is obvious. Some of it's more subtle. The people in Haggai heard God's call, but they were so intimidated, it brought everything to a grinding halt for guess how long. Does anyone know this little came to a standstill, what that represents in Scripture? Ten years. Entire decade passed since they had touched work on the temple. I mean, you talk about a dry spell. So you're like, I've been in a rut this summer. How about a decade? This is what happens whenever you set out to act on God's call in your life. It stirs opposition. Not only active kind, but even some of the subtle passive kind. Apathy sets in, right? Waning interest because of competing interests. See, when the people came to Jerusalem, they actually need, everything was in ruins, not just the temple. So they actually had to make a living. They started like establishing farms and schools and shops and, and, and commerce and trade. Every, all legitimate tasks, Yet the years went by and suddenly they got caught up like in their own thing and, and, and God's call in their life just kind, of, just kind of trickled away and a subtle spiritual apathy just set in. These, these people say the time hasn't yet come for the Lord's house to be built. In other words, they actually became to, used to worshiping among the ruins and their desire to rebuild died out and a decade went by. Maybe you can identify with that. And it's not because you don't love God. Or you don't want to know his will and follow his leading in your life. In fact, maybe one time you did. Maybe, it was, maybe you were in high school or you were in, you know, in college or like in Campus Crusade or something. And during your college years or something like that, and you, were, you were zealous. You were on fire you know, for God right after you know, your, your conversion. But then something happened. And now it's been, you know, it's been 10 weeks. I haven't even been here all summer. I don't know. I've just been down you know, the shore. I, 10 months. I, I, you know, 10 years. Part of a lifetime can go by literally. It's not bad. It's busy. It's called life. You've got a job. You've got school. You've got friends. You've got travel. Any one of a dozen things that require your focus and attention. And somehow the call of God in your life has slowly slid. Remember, remember last week, what is, what's urgent is always the enemy of what's important. And what happens is if the rebuilding project experiences a slowdown after a while... Well, we learned to live with the leaks. This past year, Colleen and I set out to actually remodel the upstairs bathroom um, in our house. Uh, we, live, we live in an old house. I think, you know, if you're a real estate agent, it's called charming, which basically is code for falling apart. So we live in a charming house. And, uh, you know, we knew that when we moving in, the main bathroom is over 50 years old, you know, cracked tile, you know, leaky toilet, rusty water pipes, one of those deals where you, like, turn on the faucet and it, like, goes... You know, and it's brown water, and it, it was like kind of like point of identification with like, oh, Ethiopia. That's just what. It, okay, let's get it. And um, and it just got bad. It was just intolerable this past year. We you know, like we like put the kids in for a bath, and they come out like dirtier than they went in. You know, 
So we started this, this renovation process. Colleen did like the heavy lifting. She kind of picked out a, a contractor. Actually found a, a, a female contractor. They, they came, they were like, we, we drew up plans. And I'm like, plans? The space is this big. What plan? Your toilet can go here or here. There's not a lot of room here. And, uh, and, and so they began work last spring. And if you've ever done work on your house or, 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 or construction like that, you know the first week is exhilarating because it's all about what? Demo. Wham! Everything comes down and the change is so dramatic. You tear everything out, walls get knocked down, everything gets stripped to its core. And then the second week is even more exciting because now they're framing it up and new pipes are starting to go up. And then the third week, nothing. And it kind of goes that way. I remember the third week, I, I literally walked in. I was like, what, what, what happened? The guys didn't show up today? She goes, no, they showed up. Well, w- nothing changed up there. What were they doing up there? I don't know. They were there all day. <laughs> really? Yeah. And next week, the contractor's going on vacation, but she says she's going to some, send some people. Right. And everything slows down from there. But before she went on vacation, she's a, you know, she, she is a humanitarian uh, contractor. She said, I'm going to install the toilet at least so that functions for you. And Colleen picked this nice toilet. I didn't even know there were like variations of toilets. She picked like this top shelf Kohler and this gleaming white throne. This is the best part. They install this thing amidst the hanging sheetrock in the ruins. It looks like Beirut, but they put in this beautiful, you know, gleaming Kohler toilet. And the rest of the bathroom is in shambles. And it was crazy because it was supposed to be a six week, you know, renovation. It was two months later. And we get used to using this thing. We'd sit in there surrounded by sheetrock and plaster. You'd have to put on shoes, boots because there were nails. Like, so you'd actually have to wear boots in there. And there's like, like a little cracked piece of mirror that we'd start got used to using like in the morning. You know, like kind of like, okay, we got, you know. does any homeowners identify with this? Okay, some contractors were like, watch it, dude. <laughs> Anytime you set out to rebuild something in your house, it takes so much longer after the flurry of activity. Because progress inevitably slows. Same way in your spiritual life. When you step out to make progress in an area, it will be opposed, sometimes actively by a bad contractor, sometimes passively. All of a sudden, other stuff comes flooding in. We pull down one of the walls, and now all of a sudden, we're like, well, the, you know, the, uh, the electric guy gets here tomorrow. Electric guy, what are you talking You need all new wiring here. Scope creep. Anyway, punchline is this. The bathroom finally gets done. It turns out beautiful. At least I think it did. Except for the faucets. I'm like, wow, this is, this is great. Colleen's like, yeah, the, the faucets. What, what's wrong with the faucets? She goes, they're too short. I wanted longer, elegant faucets. And, and I, I know enough now just to mean, no, understand elegant translates to $150 more at Home Depot. And I go, no, these, these totally work. Look, she goes, no, look, you, 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 have, you have chunky hands. They don't really work around. I was like, what are you calling my ch-? So she goes, I want to get more elegant faucets and, and the contractor was a female so she was like it's true they're t- way too short and so they go out they they order more th- the faucets they put them in but they're not a perfect fit they actually work no problem the water comes out but but every time you turn a slight leak comes out around the base and i'm like oh this, this, this wow how what an elegant leak you know it just got every time i wash my hands this is kind of good so we contact and because and, and there are only like a couple other things need to be done there's like a little patch on the wall and so we're like can you come back and fix that now here's the deal what we discovered is that when a renovation job is about 95% complete, it is next to impossible to get any contractor to come back. It just isn't going to happen. So she's like, you know, maybe try tightening it yourself, which, okay. And I'm not that handy, right? You know, maybe I'll put some duct tape around. Kind of tighten this thing, but the leaky faucet, every time we go under, wash your hands, here he's coming out. Well, how elegant. So a week goes by. 
Then two weeks of hand washing. But it's, you know, it's clear water. Come on. Then three, then a month, then it's summer. And guess what? Today's August 16th. I was in there this morning. It leaks. And guess what the Lucas family did? We learned to live with the leak. It is a, it's annoying. The job's never finished. And we, know, we understand the back of our heads. We know it could lead to something bigger. You know, we had something that could rot out the wood underneath the sink. But here's the deal. Because our bandwidth is eaten up in life, it's just like there's only so many things you can do. So we adapt and we lower the bar and say, I can live with that. And we learn to live with the leak in our spiritual life as well. What, what's, what's something you started with good intentions this year? That is now stalled. What, what leaks have you learned to live with? Maybe it's rebuilding your, your relationship with him or, or, or with her. Or maybe it was breaking your addiction to porn. Yeah, I almost got fired. This is going to be the year. I just can't go on. It's overtaking my life. I just can't. How's it going? Maybe it is getting out of debt. Maybe, maybe, think back to our January series, brand new you. This is the year I, I take it serious. I'm going to get closer to God. And you start off zealous and you're reading the Bible and you're encountering God every morning. But then, you know, you hit like Leviticus and it, you're like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. It trickles off. The leak. Life's about the leaks. I, I saw this on, on, on Wednesday because it's so rare that lifestyles actually change. We make a little commitment. Um, we, as a staff, we went out. We were at this buffet. We're all kind of sitting around the table. Everyone got like heaping plates on their buffet except for Pastor Glenn. Glenn has no plate. He's not eating anything. And we're like, oh, what's wrong? Are you sick? And he's like, no, I gotta, you know, I'm fasting. And we're like, oh, you did, you're doing that? He fasts every Wednesday. He skips lunch. Someone's like, why? Why do you do that? Basically, the idea here is that fasting is a spiritual discipline. You skip that meal in order to kind of concentrate on God. You're actually going to pray during that time and say, you know what? I'm going to let my hunger be kind of my reminder that I'm always feeding my flesh, but I'm going to prioritize God first. So, so Glenn does this what, once a week and, and, and it was a secret at one. It was a secret, but now it's not. So, um, so anyway, someone goes, wow, that's amazing. How long have you been at this? He goes, actually, this, this is a, about 18 months. And everyone at the table goes, <gasps> and then Kang and I, you know, we went back for seconds to the buffet. And, um, and, and what's funny is that everyone was shocked because they were like 18 months. No way. I mean, we all make like little, like, you know, I'm th- yeah, I'm gonna, I, I should do that. I should read that more. And when someone actually makes a lifestyle change, it's like a shock. Because most of the time we hear something, we think, I'm going to tweak that a little bit. But when progress stalls, we make excuses like Haggai's people. It's not yet time to rebuild. Translation, I've learned to live with the leaks. I, I wanted to start, you know, tithing this year. I was going to get out of debt. But I, I, I don't know if you heard it, Tim. The economy's tanked. I've got too many obligations. So you learn to live with the leak financially. I, I, I wanted to focus on, on, on rebuilding our relationship. I, it's been leaking. I don't, want, you know, I don't want to go in a rut, but I never did make that appointment with Pastor Glenn or the counselors here at Liquid. Instead, I've just well, I've learned to live with the leak relationally. See, anytime God calls us to rebuild an area in our life, we should expect opposition or apathy. There's no doubt the Jews must have felt discouraged because they heard God's voice. They saw it. They saw reprioritize, And they were determined to rebuild for the second time. And that's where it's like depressing. But here's the upswing. And this, this is where it changes because I want you to look at verse 14. This is where it changes and where hope is actually found. Let's read it together. It says, So the Lord, what? Stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirred up the spirit of Joshua, stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. In other words, 23 days 
after hearing God's voice, they, they literally, radical lifestyle change. They said, scrap everything else. We're getting to work. And if you're, not, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, you know this is a rare thing. Rarely did a prophet's message receive that kind of response. And, and, and that's just human nature. I mean, how many times you hear a message and you think, you know what? That was an excellent point. In fact, I think like God was almost speaking to me. I ought to do that. Only to leave, hit the work week, go home, turn on the Olympics, and that's the sound of the slow leak. So here is your word of encouragement for today. If you're stalled, you feel God's prompting to jumpstart a critical area that he's surfacing in your life, I want to give you the good news. Are you ready? You can't do it. I motivate that's the good news you can't do it in fact this is this is like my motivational speaker moment let's all say it together i can't do it are you ready one two three i can't do it a lick at least on your own see what happens is we look then internally i think i can make some changes here i think i could get up earlier and begin doing this we begin thinking we can rebuild this thing when it needs to be rebooted and you're doomed because the only reason Haggai could undertake this enormous task with any hope of just not stalling out again was that God's call to him contained a stirring promise. That is the third and final point in the chapter, and I want you to see how this now all comes together. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, stirred up the spirit of Judah, stirred up the spirit of the remnant of the people. In other words, in the middle of this work slowdown, something moved them from stalled to stirred. Instead of staying stuck at three, they actually amped it up to 11. This one goes to 11. Why? What changed? What stirred them? The Hebrew word for stirred is actually like woke up out of like a a, a stupor, a trance. Here's the secret. Look at verse 13, would you? And you'll see a promise God makes them when they commit themselves to rebuild the relationship. It's four words, but packed with power. It says, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger gave this message of the Lord to the people, four words, I am with you, declares the Lord. I am with you. In the back row, second from the left and the third row, I'm with you. I am with you. Folks, you think you can undertake this task on your own, you will fail. Process is doomed. Progress is doomed. Opposition, distractions are too much. Good intentions are not enough. You need a greater source of power. I am with you. 500 years after the prophet Haggai, another prophet by the name of Jesus Christ came saying, I am that I am. And those of you We know the Old Testament, I am is the Hebrew name for the creator of the universe. With you. The title of Jesus was given was Emmanuel, which simply translates to God with us in a deeply personal way. There is no rebuilding it on our own. There's no rebuilding it, so just stop. Christ came in the form of a human to literally be with us. He died for our sins and was raised again to give new life to us. And after ascending to heaven, he is now with us 
wants to live in us and through us still. That's the promise of Christianity. It's what sets the faith apart from other religions. It's a God who died to raise us to new life and now lives to give us a new spirit. His own spirit. Not only remind us actually of of his words, but to give us strength to actually live in a fundamentally new way. And, And until we invite that into our lives and we actually confess good intentions are not enough, I actually, unless I have Christ's strength, unless I have his power, there is no hope of rebuilding any part of my life. It's all just cosmetics. It's patching up a, a, a God's promise to be with us in you is what stirred them up. Four words packed with power. I am with you, declares the Lord. Question for you, for everybody right here in this room, if you're watching, listening online. What would you attempt this week if you were absolutely 100% confident that God was with you? What would you do? Romans 8.31, Paul actually puts this in the form of a question. He says, rhetorically, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, Paul's like, if Christ gave his life for you, do you think he's now going to give up on you now that the harder part of the journey has set in? Is that what you think? I mean, we we say this, that's the language you use. We say, well, you know, I believe in God. And you know what? That's what begins the relationship. But did you ever consider the opposite refractive truth, that God believes in you? You Not just we believe in God, but right now, God believes in you. Paul is saying, Christ will not withhold anything you need to live fully for him if you are surrendered. The Bible says, literally, Paul's like, the, the person who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion if you continually look to him as the source of th- strength to say the course. Because if you're going to attempt the impossible and step out and take a risk of renovating a vital area of your life, guess what? You need to know the fundamental truth. God has not given up on you. He is for you. Folks, this is, this is not abstract theology. This is eminently practical. In, in other words, if he gave up his son to save your life, Do you you think he he can't give you the strength to save your marriage? Is is that what you think? Or your relationship? He can save you, but not that. He can't save that relationship. That's that's foregone. We just need to see lawyers. Really? He, he, He paid your debts. He forgave your sins eternally. And you think he can't get you out of debt financially. Really? Paul actually continues in, in verse 34. He make, this, this, this totally twisted my brain. He says, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, where is he now? At the right hand of God and is also, what's the word? Interceding for us. I want you to think about this. When people say, where's Jesus right now? Most people say, well, you know, in heaven. What's he doing in heaven? I don't know, just kind of hanging out there. Not so much. You want to know what the Bible says Jesus is doing right now? He's doing something. He's praying for you, Jim. He's praying for you, Stacy. What's Jesus doing right now? He's praying for you, Mark. He's praying for you in front of your computer. Jesus Christ is praying. This is a fresh thought. I mean, that's what the verse says, that Jesus right now, he lives to do. He's standing at the right hand of his Father, praying for us. In other words, you may have lacked the time this week to pray, neglected to follow through, but guess what? Jesus didn't. 
This is an, it is, this, this, I couldn't get my mind around this this week. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm literally sitting in the library. I'm just like, wait. At this moment, Jesus Christ, my God, is praying for me. Asking his father not only to forgive my sins, but out of love actually continue to mold and shape my life so that I can become all he called me to be. This is, a, is it stir your spirit to think that this is what God is doing. It stirs mine. God is with you. Christ died for you. He was raised now to live through you. And at this moment, this day, he is praying for you. Some of you are like, really? Come on. I know. You don't believe God. But he believes in you. So let me ask you, what area of your life do you feel him prompting you to rebuild? If you hear nothing else today, all the rest of this, this, this crazy church, you're just four words. I am with you. If you, folks, if you can absorb this, uh, the deepest level of your soul, it is the only thing that will move you forward if you actually want to patch the leaks, not just cosmetically, but breathe new life into this relationship. Only the, the reality of God fully present, even when we stall, can stir us and strengthen us supernaturally to radical life change. It's not about good intentions. I'm sorry. It's not about self-help books. You can go to Barnes & Noble. There's row upon row of books about how you can change your life for good. You know, with tip, they're chock full of helpful tips and techniques if you want to just kind of tweak your life. But mark this. Apart from the power of the risen Christ living in you and through you, in a life that's fully surrendered to him. I don't mean just like, good idea. Surrendered. I don't have anything. I cede it over. You live through me. It's temporary change. It will stall out. I've done it. Only a daily waking every moment, Christ, Christ, control me, encourage me, wrap me in your, your unconditional love to stir the confidence to rebuild this part of my life that seems impossible. What would you attempt? What would you do this week? What would you attempt if you were absolutely, positively, 100% certain that God was with you? Right now, every day, every hour, every breath. In fact, let, let, let's just do something. Everyone take a deep breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Close your eyes. Close your eyes for just a minute. Breathe in. Breathe out. What would you attempt if you were absolutely, positively, 100% confident that God was with you. Every day you wake, every breath that you take, Christ in you. Breathe in, breathe out. Every breath you take, every move you make, He was with you. Keep your eyes closed. I, I am with you, declares the Lord. You belong to me every single day. Every word you say, every night, every day, I am with you. Open your eyes. That is God's promise to you through Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's what Christianity is. Some of you may be like, God, you're probably like, God with me? Okay, come on, Tim, you don't, you don't know. God, God, God's only with holy people like Pastor Tom, not me. I got all these issues. I got these broke down areas in my life. I mean, I got to get my life together first. No, 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 you can't. If you did, you wouldn't need God. 
This is literally why God sent Jesus to be with you. To rebuild a relationship with God you will never achieve on your own, no matter how hard you try. Emmanuel, Christ is with me. Can we let you say that together in a big, loud voice? Christ is with me. What would you attempt if you were absolutely, positively, 100% confident this is true? What would you do differently this week? I want you to take out a pen. I gave you a pen in the beginning. It's on your seat. Would you just click that? Click, 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 click. Pull out your connection card. Take a look at this thing. Mark this moment. Maybe this is a holy moment. On the back it says comments, prayer requests. Write a prayer right now to Jesus. Not, not, not a, what you want us to pray. What would you pray right now if you believe this was true? What's something you started with good intentions this year? Maybe in January. Maybe it was years ago. Maybe it was a decade ago that now is stalled. What, what leaks have you learned to live with? What leaks? From stalled to stirred. What is stirring actually even in your spirit today that you feel God prompting you to rebuild? Can you write it here even in the form of prayer? Dear Jesus, it's my relationship with Father. It's, it's put your finger on this. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a career. Maybe the job you're in is not your calling and you felt God prompting you to leave and you, and you would, but, but you don't want to sacrifice money. Don't let it stand in your way. What would you attempt if you're absolutely positively 100% confident that God was with you? Write it on here. Folks, remember the three lessons of Haggai. God's call requires sacrifice. It won't be easy. It comes with a cost. Obeying God always does. It's not impossible, but you should expect opposition. Active or passive, there will be distractions, some of them hostile. Busyness will probably be the biggest enemy for all of us. But remember this, God's call comes with a stirring promise, I am with you. Every night and day, every breath you take, I am with you. Jesus has come. And he is here. He wants to live in you and through you. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. He is for you. And his power is available to you. Look at your connection card. Holy moment.